the teams you care about. Mac Jones is good. That's not the question. The question is, is he good enough to win repeatedly in this loaded AFC? The stories that matter to you. If I'm Xander Bogarts, I need three things in order to get over that insulting contract offer. This is your home for New England sports. Jason Tatum, superstar. Book it. This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? Freddie Farkas show on a Wednesday right here on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Red Sox already played today, falling 6-1 to one in Houston to the Astros. They still take two of three from the series. We'll play the highlights later in the show. We'll talk to you about the Red Sox performance today and how exactly they, well, how now they are faring in the wild card race. So, again, a full show, all 90 minutes up until 7 o'clock. I spoke with Tom Karen of Nesson today. Our Red Sox insider was live in Houston, so he had to get in the clubhouse early today. So TC and I spoke at about 10.30 this morning. So I will play you that interview back at 5.45. We'll have all of TC's thoughts on what happened at the trade deadline. Obviously, we won't talk about the game because the game hadn't happened yet when we spoke. But lots of great stuff from TC. You'll hear that in about 15 minutes. We'll talk about... The Red Sox as a whole, some stuff on the Patriots out of camp, and some thoughts on the passing of Vin Scully as well. You can get in on the Napa-Morrisville, Napa-Waterbury text line, 802-585-3026. Your locally owned Napa stores in Waterbury and Morrisville. You can also check us out on Facebook Live and YouTube Live as well. Five, four, three, two, one. And here we go. The opening thoughts on the Brady Farkas Show brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and by Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center with locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber. They are online at sticksandstuff.com. Now that the trade deadline is over, okay, with the pressure of the deadline gone, we can now step back and take a 3,000-foot view of the Red Sox and of High and Bloom. And I have said what I'm about to say before, but I want to get into a little more detail on it here. I'm well aware, fully aware, that the Red Sox are in this playoff race, and I'm fully aware that this season is not over. But this has to be said. Chaim Bloom's judgment day is going to come this offseason. Okay? I know this season's not over. I don't want to rush it away. This offseason, that is judgment day for Chaim Bloom. As you well know, I have liked Chaim Bloom nearly every step of the way. I've defended him nearly step, every step of the way. Chaim Bloom has had three years in Boston, 2020, 2021, and now 2022, where he has been largely immune from big criticism from me. Little move here and there, fine. But big criticism, Chaim Bloom has been largely immune from, from me. Look, he gave him the benefit of the doubt, right? He came in in 2020. He inherited a tough situation with Mookie Betts. I wrote it off for him. He inherited a tough situation with Alex Cora. I wrote it off for him. He came in during, you know, right before COVID and had to deal with all that. That was impossible to navigate. I wrote it off for him. I gave him a pass on nearly everything. And last year, he delivered a surprise run to the ALCS. 
So three years now, High and Bloom has been largely devoid of criticism, at least from me. This offseason, the winter of 2022 and 2023, this is where the rubber meets the road. We always hear about teams and about organizations having plans, right? College programs have plans. Pro programs have plans. There's three-year plans. There's five-year plans. We're there. By the end of this season, Hyam Bloom will have been with the Red Sox for three full years. He's a, he will have had enough time to begin to implement what he and ownership want. This upcoming offseason, this is where things need to happen. This time next year, the Boston Red Sox, we better be talking about a roster that is ready for a World Series run, not a roster that is caught in the complete in-between. This upcoming offseason is where that happens so that next year we can be talking about gearing up for a serious playoff run and not just a maybe, possibly, hopefully, Eh, playoff run. High and Bloom has had three years. He has built the farm system. It is not perfect. It is certainly better. It can't get you in the VIP section of the club for Juan Soto deals, but the farm system that High and Bloom has assembled can be used to his benefit this offseason. There's players that can help your roster, and there's players that can be dealt without killing your farm system entirely. The Red Sox have built the farm system enough to use it to their advantage. They have saved some money in the last few years. They have a ton of money coming off the books. They will have had three full Major League Baseball drafts under, the, under their belts. And again, that I mentioned, they will have an insane amount of money to spend. This is where the magic needs to happen. This is where the foundation has been laid. And I have justified it. Save some money. Look under the couch covers. Draft well. Develop. Stay disciplined. Don't blow out the farm system. Don't spend unnecessarily. I have championed it, and I have understood it all. This offseason is where it comes time to pay those bills, to pay off our patience as a fan base. Look at the money that will be available to the Red Sox. J.D. Martinez is coming off the books. $19 million available. Nathan Evaldi, $17 million available. Kike Hernandez, $8 million. Christian Vasquez, 5 Michael Waka, 7 Rich Hill, 5 Matt Strom, 3 Kevin Ploiecki, 3 That is $66 million that will be available for High and Bloom and this ownership group to reinvest in next year's roster. And look, I don't want him to, but if Xander Bogarts leaves, that's another $20 million. You could have it. Some guys are going to get raises in arbitration, but you're going to have between, God, by the time it's all said and done, you're going to have between 55 and $75 million available to spend just next year. This upcoming offseason is everything. This upcoming offseason is where you make moves. You've sat back. You've waited out the market. You've been smart. This is where the pre- This is the time where the pressure is on High and Bloom and Company to go for it. I don't mean to be. A, I don't mean to be stupid. I don't mean to spend willy nilly. 
Not talking about when the Lakers gave Timothy Mozgov like $80 million in the NBA. I'm not advocating for that, but I am advocating for the Red Sox to be aggressive. You've done pretty much only under-the-radar things or shrewd things for the last couple of years. You should still do that. That is what good teams do. But this is the time to be aggressive. Hyam Bloom has the target on his back, and this offseason, I am at the front putting it there. I have given him three years of largely free passes, not this offseason. This offseason is where I, too, bring out the pitchfork because three-year plans, five-year plans, you are in the middle of that window. It's time to make things happen. This team has the money and resources to do whatever it wants next year. You want to pay Xander Bogarts? You have the money to do that. You want to give Xander Bogarts five years, $150 million, $30 million a year? Great. Guess what? I got 35 to $40 million left over. I could go do even more. The money is there. Carlos Rodon likely to hit free agency. You can make a run at him. If you don't want to bring Bogarts back, well, hey, Trey Turner and Dansby Swanson are shortstops available in free agency. Do you want to make a run at Aaron Judge? How about Jose Abreu? You need a veteran first baseman who can rake? How about him? He's free. How about Josh Bell? How about Sean Manaya as another arm? There is a ton of talent available on the free agent market. You could bring back some of your own guys if you desire. Utilize some of the prospects you've acquired to go make a trade or two. I supported High and Bloom being frugal and being disciplined the last few years because I didn't believe. I did not believe the team was ready. This offseason, that's where I now believe the team is ready. You have to invest in this team. Go make the patience pay off and make something happen. Again, I know this year is not over. But I said yesterday I was mad at High and Bloom. Others of you have been mad at High and Bloom for years already. This offseason, that's where we all direct our energy to. I was listening to Buster Olney, our friend, the other night, and he asked a very good question on ESPN. Uh, you know, the Red Sox have demonstrated the last few years they wouldn't pay Mookie Betts. They apparently are not going to pay Xander Bogarts. They are miles away from an extension with Devers. You're a big market team. When are you going to start acting like a big market team again? I think it's a fair question. It needs to be this offseason. It needs to be this offseason. That's when you start acting like a big market team again. Look, you don't need to go get eight guys at $150 million contracts. You don't need that. That's not what this is about. But can you make two significant investments? Maybe it's as simple as locking up Devers and Bogarts. Maybe those are your two. If you do that, I'll be happy. I will give High and Bloom another benefit of the doubt if he locks up Devers and Bogarts, and those are his only big acquisitions. Maybe it's Devers and Trey Turner. Maybe it's Bogarts and Carlos Rodon and you wait for Devers. I don't know, but there's enough guys out there and there's enough money available to you to make significant upgrades to this roster. This time next year, we should be talking about the Red Sox being in a battle for first place and not a battle to get out of last place. 
The Red Sox now are trying to snake a final wild card spot. We should be talking about them being in the driver's seat, being in a premium driver's seat in the American League playoff race with a chance to win the World Series. Right now, we are just hoping. And hoping is what the Mariners do. And hoping is what the Texas Rangers do. And hoping is what the Guardians do. You are the Red Sox. This offseason, it's not about hoping. It's about assembling a roster that can win the World Series. High and Bloom, I have supported you throughout. Now, go out this offseason with the target on your back and make something happen to get this organization back to World Series caliber. Back to World Series caliber. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Earlier today, before the Red Sox lost, I spoke with Tom Karen of Nesson. We talked all about the deadline. We talked all about High and Bloom and the things that I just said in this first segment. Okay, We talked all about it. What does TC feel about the deadline? What's the vibe in the clubhouse? Tom Karen next on DEV. Make your opinion heard by texting onto the Brady Farkas Show at 802-585-3026. Looking for the latest information on the Red Sox? Not only is David Ortiz a Hall of Famer, but he is one of the best of the best. How about the Bruins? Are they a Stanley Cup champion? Probably not as presently constructed, but they're a playoff team. And you've come to the right place. We talk now with Nesson Insider Tom Karen. Baseball isn't boring because there's still nothing like the communal gathering of fans at a baseball game. On the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on this Wednesday on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Red Sox have lost today. They lose to the Astros by a score of 6-1. to one. Earlier today, I caught up with Sox insider Tom Karen over at Nesson. We talked a lot about the trade deadline. TC was live in Houston this morning getting ready to go into the Red Sox clubhouse as we spoke. I started by saying, TC, good morning. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Excellent, but confused. Um, let me start here. I have been a very staunch High and Bloom defender. You know this. We've talked about it. I have generally been able to understand or rationalize nearly all of the moves he's made in the last three years. Yesterday was the first day I found myself angry at what was done or not done. The Red Sox, to me, didn't buy enough to be buyers. They didn't sell enough to be sellers. For the first time yesterday, I felt the Red Sox were directionless. Did you see it that way? Now, here, here's how I think you need to frame what happened over the last 48 hours. The Red Sox ultimately did not have a fire sale. And a fire sale is when you move all the pieces you can move, getting the best you can get for each player. And that means even if you don't get what you think that player is worth, you still get the best deal, like selling a house. You want you want $300,000 for a house, but all you get is two seventy five. You sell the house, you get what you get. That's a sale where, again, you're, you're moving it no matter what. Instead, talking to people around the industry, what Bloom did yesterday was set extremely high prices for J.D. Martinez and Nathan Evaldi and, and Rich Hill and others and say, if you meet our asking price, we will sell. But if you don't, we will keep these pieces and see if we can make a run to the wild card. That's what they ended up doing. So they didn't go full sell mode. They also, to your point, didn't go full buy mode. Hosmer makes them better, but that kind of fell into their lap. That wasn't part of an overall strategy. 
So we'll see. I mean, I, I can't remember a team that has straddled the middle line uh, more than they have over the last 48 hours. I love the Hosmer move. I think it's smart financially. I think it's smart baseball-wise. So I do love that move. I actually advocated for Hosmer to be a part of the Red Sox plans last year before they got Schwarber. I was interest, I was uh, listening to Dan Shaughnessy uh, yesterday on, on your rivals at NBC Sports Boston, and he says the Red Sox have done just enough to keep up the illusion of, of competitiveness. Do you buy that rhetoric? No. No, because, you know, Dan's narrative with that is that the ownership is doing this all as a marketing ploy. Heim Bloom really doesn't operate that way. Heim Bloom really is trying to, to get his team to be a contender. And I think Heim Bloom, like most of us, look at this team and say, I'm not, I'm not going to add. I, I talked to someone in, 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 in management with the Red Sox last week, late last week. And, and he said, what are we going to add? A first baseman, an outfielder, a starter, three relievers. Are we going to add six players at the deadline? No. And looking at the team, that's what you'd need to do to put them in the Yankees or Astros class. Now, that doesn't mean you can't make a wild card spot, go like last year, get hot at the right time, make a run and surprise the people and have fun. I, I think they're still in a position to do that. They didn't blow that up. So, no, I, I don't think this is part of a marketing scheme to keep up the illusion of being competitive. I think it is keeping them competitive in the wild card race, but not going all in to try to make them a contender and not blowing it up to start over. How do you think the players feel about what's transpired? It was Buster Olney on the national broadcast on Monday night who said players were privately telling him they didn't feel the support from the organization. Xander Bogart's comments yesterday at least raised uh, doubts about his level of belief in the organization. But yet Jaron Duran on Monday night say we all believe in high and bloom. How do you think the players feel? Well, I think it's changed a lot in the last 48 hours. I think, you know, the comments Bogart made yesterday, I was here, that was before the trade deadline. And at that point, there really was a, a feeling here that they weren't done, that they were going to move J.D. Martinez, maybe Evaldi, maybe Rich Hill. The fire sale was on, or so we all thought. Uh, the, the mood of the clubhouse last night after the game had changed considerably. Uh, a lot of optimism and uh, as much joy as I've seen Powell score in a while. And, you know, the players, I think, felt pretty good. Talked to Ravio Devers after the game last night. Kind of, kind of a feeling that, you know, they've left the core together here, with the exception of Vasquez and, to a lesser extent, Jake Deacon. But they kept these guys together. They didn't blow it up. And now I think there is a belief that, okay, they left us alone. Thank you. We got Devers back. Uh, we got Rich Hill back on the mound today. We're getting uh, Waka back soon. Trevor Story, Kike Hernandez. All of that, I think, increases the, the, the level of uh, – of, of, of satisfaction, if you will, in the clubhouse and, and the belief in what High and Bloom is doing. Tom Karen, Sox Insider, and Nesson live from Houston with us here in the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. So a lot of optimism, a lot of happiness that the band stays together largely, but there's still a lot of teams to jump and a lot of circumstances to overcome here. Look, I'm a nervous Mariners fan. I could see them collapsing. I think Baltimore sold, so they're ultimately going to fall back to the pack. But you still haven't been able to beat the teams in front of you in the AL East this year. And Cleveland, the White Sox, the Twins all have easier schedules. Can the Red Sox make a run, even with this renewed optimism? Well, the last two nights make you think they could, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, you've won the season series against the Astros, uh, who, who are arguably one of the, well, they are one of the two best teams in the American League, arguably one of the 
three or four best in Major League Baseball. I, you know, I would, and we may never see this, but this is, yeah, we always wish that guys come back and are healthy and can continue. Who knows what step back there will be along the way, but I would love to see this team with, with Devers and Bogarts and J.D. Martinez and Trevor Story and T.K. Hernandez and Tommy Pham and Eric Hosmer all together, all healthy, see what they can do with, with Evaldi and Hill and Waka all back in the middle of the rotation. Still an outside champ. James Paxton could help you out of the bullpen. Uh, you know, let's see if they can get healthy because I certainly think, I said this throughout, I, I thought even if they blew it all up, they would still hang around this wild card race. I don't think this wild card race is going to pull away from them. I think they're going to hang within a couple of games, and if they get hot, they'll be back in one of those wild card spots. So if they can hang around and get healthy and get back, you know, last year, and, and Alex Gore's been saying this all week, Last year, with a week to go in the season, nobody thought they were going to make the playoffs. When they came down to the final day of the season, there were four teams left for that final spot. Well, the Red Sox were the team that survived and all of a sudden eliminated the Yankees, eliminated the 100-win Rays, and came within two wins of a World Series appearance. Can that happen again? Ah, Who knows? I mean, it's not likely right now. But I don't think it's out of the question. When you look at the Red Sox right now, um, the biggest reason for optimism, obviously, is the guys coming back from injury. Who needs to step up the most for them as we come down the stretch? That's a really good question. I mean, you know, their catching is going to be a question, right? We're going to be watching the catching very closely. Ploiecki's going to be leaned on a lot heavier now with Christian Vazquez gone. We'll see if Reese McGuire, who's pretty good defensively but doesn't carry much of a stick, uh, we'll see if he can come out this team. Can Hosmer uh, inject a little life? You know, I will say this, and, and intangibles are what they are, but I think they matter in baseball. And, and I think for a couple of years now, this team has leaded, needed a little more fire, a little more spark. They've got a lot of leaders who are quiet, really good baseball players, but but not big, loud, uh, you know, in-your-face clubhouse guys when needed. Tommy Pham is that. Uh, and Eric Osmer brings an edge to the clubhouse. I, I think it's a very different dynamic in the clubhouse than it was 48 hours ago. We'll see if that's a good thing, but I think it's something they've needed. TC, you've got about 90 seconds left. I'll get you out of here on this between Evaldi and J.D. Martinez and Kike Hernandez and Walker and Hill and God will it, maybe Bogarts. The Red Sox could have somewhere between 50 and $80 million to play with next offseason. For all the negative bashing of High and Bloom, I think – this offseason is where the rubber meets the road for him. How important is it for him to invest all of that savings back into the major league roster? No, it's huge. I mean, it's everything. They're going to, you know, they're going to need a catcher. They're going to need to settle the shortstop position, whether it's Bogarts or, or Story or somebody else. Uh, and then they're, they're going to need to, are they going to need an outfielder? They're going to need pitching help. So they're going to need a lot of things. It's not all going to be on the free agent market because there isn't always the talent you want there. Uh, it means you may have to trade for some high-priced players, and it's certainly going to come down to the uh, clock ticking on Devers. Can you sign him? Can you get that done? Can you make him a cornerstone piece? Or are we having this conversation this time next year about Devers being traded before you lose him for nothing? So I don't think there's any doubt. The last 48 hours have been maybe important in how we view High and Bloom. The next 12 months are going to be critical in what he does with this franchise. TC, as always, you're the best. Thank you. We'll talk to you in seven days.
Appreciate it. Thanks, Brady. Absolutely. TC there. I spoke to him earlier today. So that was Tom Karen of Nesson. Reason we had to go so quickly is because he was literally walking into the Red Sox clubhouse for media availability. So we had to uh, make it a quick exit. But I'm glad TC agreed with me, right? TC agreed with me that the next 12 months will really will really kind of set how we feel about High and Bloom. We, we've all got some opinions right now. A lot of you think he's bad. I think that he is great. Or, well, I take the back. Until yesterday, I thought that he was great. Now I just think he's still pretty good. The next 12 months are going to dictate how we really feel about him. That is where the action needs to happen. Peter and Williston says, awesome chat with TC Brady. He is the best. Another texter says, I think Dan Shaughnessy is right. I do believe that uh, the Red Sox are trying to put up the illusion of competitiveness do we have we have that clip don't we everybody oh here it is yeah i don't think they made a decision between last night and today because of uh, public outrage or whatever i think the plan all along was to middle this thing to do what they do which is go forward with the plan and worry about the next two three four five years and at the same time keep alive the illusion of contention see i i don't think that I don't think it's a marketing ploy like the texter does. I'm with TC on that camp. I think High and Bloom said, and again, you can take it what he says with a grain of salt. He said, I thought we would have made more moves. So I think he had other moves on his bingo card that just didn't come to fruition. I would I would have traded Evaldi. I would have traded J.D. Martinez. And if that meant you're getting 275000 for the $300,000 asking price, then so be it. But I would have moved those guys. And then just tried to re-sign him back this offseason if you really wanted to. I would have moved those players. I don't think it was about the illusion of competitiveness for the Red Sox and their ownership team. I think it was about they were shooting for the moon and maybe unrealistically, and they decided to not just sell what they thought was low on guys. I do think that they wanted to give this team a chance to get to the playoffs, so that's why they went and added here and there. I think they would have sold more if they could have, but ultimately their asking prices weren't met. I don't believe that it was a marketing ploy, though. We're going to talk to Buster Olney, too, tomorrow, so as we continue on with this Red Sox season. So Buster will join us tomorrow at 545, and we will uh, see what he thinks about everything. It is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. When we come back after the CBS News update, Vin Scully died last night at the age of 94 years old, the voice of the Dodgers for 67 years. We go down memory lane, and I've got a PSA for you. That's coming up next on the Ready Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM and FM. And at 802-585-3026. Now it's back with Ready Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. <laughs> I'm gonna tell you a story. I'm gonna tell you about my town. I'm gonna tell you a big fat story, baby. Welcome back in, Brady Farnka Show, right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Full show today, all 90 minutes. We go up until 7 o'clock. Red Sox have already lost today. Sox lose to the Astros 6 1. Jazz with George Thomas will come after me at 7. Then I and the world. With John Batchelor, I remind you, as always, you can subscribe to our podcast channel, The Brady Farkas Show, on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. So you can always get all of our full show content and all of our exclusive interviews right there. I want to take a few moments and and talk about baseball broadcasters while delivering a bit of a PSA here. You know, last week, 
the Red Sox honored Joe Castiglione for 40 years of broadcasting Red Sox games. 40 years. That's a really long time. That's remarkable longevity. I urge you, if you are listening, and especially if you are a young listener, to not take Joe Castiglione for granted. Okay? Do not take Joe or your favorite team's broadcaster for granted. Because last night, we all collectively lost Vin Scully at the age of 94. And I can regrettably tell you that I didn't get a chance to appreciate Vin Scully enough. I didn't grow up a Dodgers fan. I didn't grow up at a time where I could watch him on CBS and NBC games of the week. I didn't grow up with his work on the NFL. To me, Vin Scully was the voice of of maybe the first baseball video game I ever had, and he's the voice of a few iconic highlights, but it was still just a few. And as I've gotten older, I have learned more about Vin Scully, and I have listened more, but regrettably, I didn't spend enough of my baseball fandom learning about or appreciating Vin Scully. And I, I feel the same way now about John Madden. When John Madden passed a few months ago, I felt the exact same way that I underappreciated him, that I took him for granted. I grew up watching John Madden. From the time I started watching football, John Madden was on. It was Sunday and John Madden was on. Whether it was Sunday night, Monday night, or Sunday afternoon with Pat Summerall or Thanksgiving, John Madden was on, and I just took it for granted. I grew up watching him. I grew up listening to him. I grew up playing his video game, and I still feel like I walked away not appreciating him enough. I urge you all to not take Joe Castiglione for granted because one day he won't be calling Red Sox games anymore. And I hope that you are now, as he gets older, and as we all get older, I hope that we're all appreciating every day that we get to hear him call a game. Now, he wasn't on the call today, ironically. He'll be back tomorrow when the Red Sox take on the Royals. But I know that I have started to do that over the last year or so. As I have gotten older, I am trying to not take for granted the people who call games, especially the people who are legends, who are Hall of Famers, who are really, really good. I've been listening to Red Sox games for six years now, and just now, within the last year, am I starting to take a greater appreciation of Joe Castiglione, and I I urge you to all do that also. I thought last week was really, really cool when Joe was honored. Roger Clemens came back to the to Fenway to honor him and be there for the ceremony. I'm like, I don't know how much Roger Clemens comes back to Fenway these days, but he came back for Joe, and I thought that was really, really cool. Now, I grew up listening to, to, to Dave Niehaus with the Mariners, and I fully did appreciate him when he passed, but I want you all to appreciate Joe Castiglione every time you get a chance to hear him on our station. And it has been really fun for me in the last 15 hours or so. Well, sad. It has been really fun to go and find and listen to some of the great Vin Scully calls from his career. Vin Scully truly was one of the best. The calls are iconic, but I w- and I wish I had just appreciated it more. I'm going back 1988, Game 1 World Series, Dodgers A's, our friend Red Sox broadcaster Dennis Eckersley on the mound, Kirk Gibson at the plate. The game- 
game right now is at the plate. I mean, that's one of the most iconic calls in baseball history, is it not? And Vince Scully was on the call for several of the most iconic calls in baseball history. I mean, when I think about the most iconic calls in baseball, and you can message me this, your favorite calls, your most iconic calls. When I think about them, a lot of them involve Vince Scully. That's right there near the top. And it's just a clinic in broadcasting. Vince Scully stepping aside, calling the play, stepping aside, allowing the fans to make the noise, to tell the story. And then the line, in a year that has been so improbable, the impossible has happened. So simple, yet so classic. So that call is great. The Henry Aaron call of hitting 715, breaking Babe Ruth's record, that is iconic. That is Vince Scully. The Bill Buckner call, unfortunately, for Red Sox fans, like, this is Vince Scully, too. Little roller up along first. Behind the bag. It gets to Buckner. Here comes Knight, and the Mets win it. I mean, Vince Scully called all of those moments. He called Jackie Robinson's games. He called Don Larson's perfect game in the 56 World Series. He called Sandy Koufax's no-hitters in perfect game. He, Vin Scully saw every... Vin Scully was on the NFL, and and he Vin Scully was the broadcaster for the catch. Joe Montana's Dwight Clark in the back of the end zone in the 80s NFC Championship game against the Cowboys. Vin Scully was everywhere. When 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 Ken Squire is in the office again next, and I'm sure it will be later this week, when he's in again next, I'll have to ask him if he came across Vin Scully because they both worked at CBS for a time. I don't know if their times, um, you know, if their times passed each other there. But that's two Hall of Fame broadcasters. I got him. Hall of Fame broadcasters probably run in state circles. I got to figure that Ken Squire probably knew Vin Scully at some point. I mean, it's just iconic stuff from Vin Scully. And and while I didn't appreciate it, I'm gonna miss the the dulcet, you know, tones of his voice. His final sign off for the Dodgers, I think it was 2016, is just again so simple yet so eloquent. You and I have been friends for a long time, but I know in my heart that I've always needed you more than you've ever needed me. And I'll miss our time together more than I can say. But you know what? There will be a new day and eventually a new year. And when the upcoming winter gives way to spring, rest assured, once again, it will be time for Dodger baseball. So this is Vin Scully wishing you a very pleasant good afternoon wherever you may be. That was the final sign-off for Vin Scully. I think 2016 Dodgers-Giants end of the regular season. I heard Colin Coward today on Fox Sports Radio describe Vin Scully as literature on radio. And that's true. He was truly poetic. I went through and listened to a bunch of highlights today, and I heard him 
weave stories into a broadcast like you wouldn't believe. And I mean, he was there was an at bat. Johnny Gomes was up. Johnny Gomes, the old Red Sox player, right, playing with the Braves at the time. And Vince Scully's narrating the count. You know, Gomes is at bat. Well, also weaving in a story about Johnny Gomes being attacked by a wolf as a kid. And then Gomes singles at the end of it. He goes, there's a single to the left by the wolf man. Like, who can weave in a story about a kid being attacked by a wolf while also announcing the game? Vince Scully could. There was a story of he was weaving in about Madison Bumgarner. Bumgarner was pitching for the Giants. Bumgarner's throwing uh, to... I can't remember if it's Howie Kendrick or Justin Turner, one of the two. But he's narrating the at-bat seamlessly. You know, there's a slider down and in, and the count is 1-0. And, oh, by the way, Madison Bumgarner was attacked by a rattlesnake in spring training and chopped it up. Like, it was an incredible story. Like, Bumgarner and his wife were out. A rattlesnake he thought was going to attack him. So Bumgarner hacks the rattlesnake to pieces. And then, as the rattlesnake is hacked to pieces, they find, like, a live rabbit or something coming out of the deceased snake's stomach. They rehabilitate the rabbit who comes out of the snake's stomach. And then, and it ends with an Aesop's fable thing from from Scully about how, hey, once you get knocked down, you just got to find a way to keep going. Like, who does this? Madison Bumgarner's pitching to Howie Kendrick while we're also getting narrations about rattlesnake death and the rebirth of this rabbit. It is amazing. Absolutely amazing. And uh, Vince Scully, again, I didn't appreciate him enough, but I encourage you, like I've done, to go on social media, to go on YouTube, and find some Vince Scully calls because uh, they truly are legendary. Uh, Peter says, Colin Coward is correct. The Simpsons used to parody Vin Scully's stories in an at-bat. He was a wordsmith, wordsmith. He was truly Shakespearean. I mean, we got jazz with George Thomas coming up at 7. When I listen to Vin Scully, I truly feel like he could be a part of that program. Like, his voice is just so soothing. I feel like he could be a part of jazz with George Thomas. So uh, maybe we can get George to play some Vin Scully highlights in tonight's show. Uh, Jamie in Granville says he's talking about um, Joe Castiglione 2004 season was epic for Joe so many amazing moments and he called them all for the most part his iconic can you believe it is Red Sox Nation's favorite he still does it so many wonderful nights driving home in New England at about 9.30 Joe is the wonderful voice of a Hall of Famer I am stealing this from Dave Niehaus, the longtime Mariners broadcaster, who was just talking about baseball, that baseball captures our hearts over the, the, the span of a season and the course of a lifetime. That's what baseball does. Okay, It captures our hearts through the, the course of a season and the span of a lifetime, and the broadcaster who tells its stories does the exact same. And that's what Vin Scully did that's what Joe does. And as we have Red Sox and Royals on tomorrow night, 8-10 with the first pitch, 7-10 with the pregame show, I encourage you to uh, you know, just take a little bit of extra uh, solace in having Joe C. behind the Red Sox mic. Because one day he won't be. 40 years is a long time. I meant 40 years for Joe C. Vince Scully did 27 more than that. That 
is incredible. A true Hall of Famer. It is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, let's do it here. Let's get back into the Red Sox themselves. Let's get to who's saying what. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What did he say? Mac Jones. Good Lord. Mel Kuyper's got to slow down on this. Mac Jones ain't going to work, folks. It's not going to work. He's got to come to terms with it. It's not going to work. They really said that? Every damn thing is politics and race, and I'm losing my mind over it. It's time for Who's Saying What on the Brady Parker Show on WDEB-AM, FM, and WDEBradio.com. Who's Saying What brought to you by Vermont Laser Wash. That's Central Vermont's home of unlimited car washes beginning at just $20 a month. If you want one free car wash, just text the word Vermont to the number 30, followed by 400. So uh, unlimited, $20 a month, one free one. Text the word Vermont to 30 and then 400. A couple of texters saying all the same thing. And I said this in the midday news service. It's pretty amazing that that Kurt Gibson home run that Vin Scully called also has the iconic Jack Buck call attached to it. I don't believe what I just saw. Pretty, uh, pretty amazing to have two iconic calls on the exact same home run. All right. For who's saying what, I want to get back into part of our conversation with Tom Karen of Nesson. TC again spoke this morning with me. We played it at 545. We talked a lot about the trade deadline. I want to go back to a few things he said. I asked TC how the players felt now after the deadline had come and gone with what the Red Sox did. The mood in the clubhouse last night after the game had changed considerably. Uh, a lot of optimism and uh, as much joy as I think now score in a while. And, you know, the players, I think, felt pretty good. Talked to Raphael Devers after the game last night. Kind of kind of a feeling that, you know, they've left the core together here, with the exception of Vasquez and to a lesser extent, Jake Deacon. But they kept these guys together. They didn't blow it up. And now I think there is a belief that, okay, they left us alone. We got Devers back. Uh, we got Rich Hill back on the mound today. We're getting uh, Waka back soon. Trevor Story, Kike Hernandez. All of that, I think, increases the level of uh, satisfaction, if you will, in the clubhouse. I want to pinpoint a few things that TC said in that cut. Number one, he said last night was the most joy he's seen from Alex Cora in a while. I think that reflects how a lot of people in the Red Sox organization felt last night and felt today. A lot of people with the Red Sox are no doubt feeling very relieved and with that relief comes that joy i'm sure for the last week to 10 days guys on this team and alex cora himself have been wondering and wondering what could happen and that uneasiness that uncertainty has got to be very very tough to handle we always say oh it's a business oh it's a business oh it's a business yeah well the business has a human element to it you saw it with Christian Vasquez, who was visibly shaken by being traded. You thought you saw it with Xander Bogarts, who mentioned this whole thing about maybe him being traded was very tough on him. I'm sure guys are relieved. Cora shows it. Avaldi said it too. Maybe now, and I know they lost today, but maybe now these guys can just go out and play and play more loose and play more free. I don't know. If they'll make the playoffs, I don't know how serious their run at it will be, but it's good to hear that there is some joy back. When TC said it's the most joy that Alex Cora has shown in a while, I totally get why. For the last week and a think about this, right? 
you're in a relationship and you're feeling like the end is near. Okay, things aren't going that great. You've kind of been issued an ultimatum. Girlfriend says, ah, hey, if you don't fix this, I'm going to leave you. You're wondering if everything you do, you're kind of walking on eggshells. But then, you know, something happens. She comes back to you and says, you know what? Hey, I'm sorry. I was too harsh on you. Things are good. Like that gives you a, that, that's a huge cloud, dark cloud moved from over your head. That is a huge weight off your shoulders. And now the Red Sox have that weight off their shoulders. So I get why TC says, hey, these guys are pl- these guys had more joy last night. The second thing that TC said is that guys feel more optimistic la- after last night's game heading into today. And that's good, too. I truly believe, I think the guys on this team are just happy to see major league players come back into the clubhouse. There's got to be nothing more deflating for a veteran-laden team than seeing a parade of minor leaguers be the return back in trades. At the very least, the guys the Red Sox have gotten, like Reese McGuire and Tommy Pham and Eric Hosmer, at the very least, they are major league players. And in Hosmer's case, he's won a World Series, and he's got four gold gloves, and he's got a real resume there. So I think, yes, the Red Sox, I can understand why they have optimism because they at least see major league players again in their clubhouse. The last thing they want to see is a bunch of Yolmer Sanchez's and a bunch of quad A players coming up. So um, these guys got to think if we've got big leaguers, then we've got a chance. So I understood where TC was coming from there. He also spoke about Tommy Pham and Eric Hosmer. You know, I will say this, and, and intangibles are what they are, but I think they matter in baseball. And, and I think for a couple of years now, this team has needed a little more fire, a little more spark. They've got a lot of leaders who are quiet, really good baseball players, but but not big, loud, uh, you know, in-your-face clubhouse guys when needed. Tommy Pham is that, uh, and Eric Osmer brings an edge to the clubhouse. I, I think it's a very different dynamic in the clubhouse than it was 48 hours ago. We'll see if that's a good thing, but I think it's something they've needed. That's interesting because I heard TC and Rob Bradford from WEEI say the same thing last night on Ness and on television, and I would agree. I, I would agree on a couple fronts. I would agree that these guys do bring a little more edge. I don't know as much about Hosmer's edge in that regard, but remember Tommy Pham slapping the hell out of Josh uh, Jock Peterson about fantasy football earlier th- earlier this year? He certainly brings an attitude and a bit of an edge and a toughness factor to him, and I agree that the Red Sox could use that. As I have said for years, the Red Sox have a lot of likable players, okay? A lot of business-like, workman-like approaches on this roster. They could use a little more oomph to them at times, a little more nastiness. Devers is quiet. Martinez is quiet. Bogarts is quiet. Part of the reason, it, look, Kike Hernandez was a bit of that firecracker. He's been out. That's been a problem. Chris Sale's a firecracker. He's been gone. That's a problem. Okay. Brazier's quiet. Barnes, he's got a little bit to him, but he's been so bad you can't show it off when he does play. Red Sox are a likable team. They're a bunch of nice guys, a bunch of, of you know, a bunch of follow my example guys. Maybe Hosmer and, and Fam, they bring you just a little bit of that edge that, yeah, you have been missing over the last couple of years. We will get back into, especially the Hosmer conversation. We'll do that here in a bit. But when we come back, the reports out of Patriots training camp 
are that the offense is really, really struggling. How do we feel about that report? Are you worried? We'll talk about it next together on the Brady Farkas Show on DEB. The Brady Farkas Show now has an interactive text line. So reach out now at 802-585-3026. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show, right here on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. 6.30 now, Jazz with George Thomas comes up at 7 o'clock for us here on DEV. The reports out of Patriots training camp are not particularly good about the offense. Here's what we know over the last couple of days. The offense has really been stagnant. There's been multiple fundamental mistakes, right? Penalties, miscommunications, etc. There's been some turnovers. And in the red zone portion of practice, the Patriots offense has really struggled as well. My question for you is when you hear something like that, do you care? Are you bothered by it? Does it worry you? Do you does it roll off your back? How do you feel when you hear those reports that for a couple of days, Patriots offense has not been very good. It's now being well documented and chronicled by everyone. Mac Jones has been reportedly very frustrated with his own performance and what the offense has done. How do you feel about it? Do you care? 802-585-3026. I want to give this a couple of minutes here. I'll say this. I am not concerned about these reports, but I am surprised about them. I'm surprised because I expect the offense to have the advantage in training camp situations. I know, right? I'm in the minority. The defense, I always get told the defense has the advantage because it's not choreographed. It's It's just reactive. It's just athleticism and an instinct early on. So everyone always says the defense should have the advantage over the offense early, but I've always found that odd. The offense knows what's going on. The offense knows where everyone is going. And I tend to think that because they have choreography, I tend to think they shouldn't have as many issues. So it surprises me when I hear ever, not just with the Patriots, that an offense is having a hard time getting going. The offense knows the play, knows where they're going, knows how, and knows exactly what's happening. So I'm not worried but I am surprised. The offense can dictate things. Just like how in spring training, I always expect to hear that pitching is ahead of hitting because pitching can dictate things. I'm always surprised when I hear the offense is not doing that in an NFL training camp. So I am personally surprised by these reports. Mac Jones worked a lot with the offense over the offseason. He visited the receivers. He trained with them. He's gotten close to the offensive pieces. I would have thought that would be paying more dividends than it apparently is thus far. So I am surprised, but I am not worried. No. Like a texter who says, I'm not worried about the Pats red zone offense in week one of camp. Maybe next week I'll worry about it. I I tend to agree with that also. We have one, we have one full month. We have more than one full month until the Patriots take the field in week one. I trust that the offense will figure it out. I trust Mac Jones' work ethic. 
I trust the veterans on this team that have been through the grind of camp and the, the progression of camp before. I trust the general ability of the offense. And, and on top of it all, not only do I trust the offense, I have to trust the offense. I have to believe this is going to get better because there is no other choice. Be prepared for a quick 180 this year. The Patriots offense is going to be the unit that carries this team. Be prepared for that. Okay, Early in the dynasty with Brady, it was the defense. Early with, with Cam and Mack, it was being everything carried by the defense. Be prepared this year for the offense to go back to being the premier unit on this team. Mac Jones and his offense need to be and are going to be the best unit on this team. I do not think the defense is going to be atrocious, but there are significant questions about the defense. The offense needs to not have that many questions about it. The offense needs to be buttoned up and needs to take charge and needs to come out humming. I'm not worried about camp reports this early, but they better figure it out because they are the unit that this team is going to lean on, that this team is going to lean on. I don't think the Patriots are going to have to win every game 40 to 37. But they can't afford to go scoreless for the first, you know, first quarter and expect that the defense is going to hold serve and keep it 0-0. If the offense sputters, they could very easily be down 10 nothing in games, and that's not a position that anyone wants to be in. You can't be sleepwalking. They can't sleepwalk through camp. They can't sleepwalk through the first quarter of games. The offense, I trust that they will figure it out, but they do need to figure it out. They are the bell cow on this team. They are the better unit. And I will also admit this. I will also admit this. And this is a good week for those of you who like to see me admit things. Yesterday I admitted that Hyam Bloom was not doing the job that I thought he should have done at the deadline. And today I tell you that the more, the deeper we get into camp, the more okay I am with the Patriots' offensive situation. I believe the Patriots have good offensive players. I think they have a lot of depth. I think they have a lot of useful offensive pieces. No, they do not have a star at wide receiver. I wish that they did. I still do wish that they had a true number one. But I do think the Patriots have enough good players to be pretty good offensively. I advocated for them to draft a true number one wide receiver. They didn't. That disappointed me. I wish that they had. But looking at it now in its totality, I do believe the Patriots have the pieces to be a pretty good offense. The backfield has depth, has speed, and it has power. Ramondre Stevenson, Damian Harris, Pierre Strong, even Ty Montgomery is getting pretty good reports out of camp. Wide receiver. Bourne, Parker, Aguilar, Myers, Thornton, tight end, Jonu Smith, Hunter Henry. Like, there, there's a lot of bodies there that are good players. And the reports on Tyquan Thornton are actually pretty good, too. And Mac Jones was talking about him today. I think Ty's a hard worker. Um, he's starting to really grasp from the things we're doing and uh, getting open. He, he clearly has the speed to get open. Uh, we have a great group of guys, and... We need to spread the ball out to them. That's the whole point of this offense is get the ball to different people and not key on one person and spread the wealth and let those guys run after catch. I am feeling better 
about the Patriots' offensive situation. I am. It's not perfect. They're not the Rams offensively. They're not the Chiefs offensively. And I would rather have what the Dolphins have with Hill and Waddle than what the Patriots have. It's true. But that said, I think the Patriots have assembled a complete enough roster that they can do some good things offensively. So I trust that they are going to figure it out, and they need to figure it out because this is the unit that is going to carry this team. The thing that worries me, and this worries all teams in the NFL, this is not just the Patriots. The thing that worries me most about this offense is what happens if there's injury. And that happens to every team in the league has that worry. Every year, a team is decimated by injuries. What happens if that's the Patriots? Because the Patriots right now have a bunch of B to B-plus players. And if you have 10 B-plus players, skill guys, you, you can do pretty well. But what happens when that's down to six B-plus players? And some of those B-plus players have to try to act like A players. And they have to take on a bigger role and a more pronounced role. And they're not capable of it. What happens then? That is my worry. The Rams lost Robert Woods, so be it. They got Cooper Cup. The Rams lost OBJ in the Super Bowl, so be it. They got Cooper Cup. I mean, the Patriots don't have that. They've got B, B-plus players. When you lose multiple B-plus players, you don't have A guys there to carry the load. That's where the worries come in. But all in all, I feel better about the Patriots' skill group than I did after the draft. When I was disillusioned with them for not taking a wide receiver in the first round, I was pretty down on things. But now you get Parker, Ty Montgomery. I don't know if he's a real big contributor, but he's at least getting good reports. I I like the Patriots' depth, and I think they have some guys who can make some plays. I wish that they had a true go-to guy. I wish they had a DeAndre Hopkins. I wish they had a Stephon Diggs. I wish they had a DK Metcalf. I I will always wish they had that. But they haven't assembled a group full of schmucks either. We are, hard to believe, by the way, there's a football game tomorrow. For you degenerates that love preseason football when it's not your team, there's preseason football tomorrow. Hall of Fame game, Jaguars-Raiders. I I won't watch the Hall. I'll watch a snap or two of the Hall of Fame game. Unless it's my team, I absolutely could not care less about the Hall of Fame game. Like, it means absolutely nothing to me. But I'll watch a snap or two just to say that I did it. But we're we're eight days away from Patriots-Giants week one. I will watch every snap of that game. There's only three preseason games this year, remember, because of the uh, 17-game schedule. So I'm, I'm all in on watching the Patriots in the preseason. I can't believe we're this close to it. I will watch very little of tomorrow, though. But some of you I know will gamble on it. Some of you will watch it. It, I have zero interest in Jags Raiders, except for the fact that uh, Josh McDaniels is back on an NFL sideline as a head coach. All right. It is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. I want to bring quickly, I want to get back into the Red Sox, and I want to bring quickly to light what J.D. Martinez said last night about how he views the Red Sox right now. You know, we have a kind of the same team, I would say, in a different way, you know. We got weaker in other areas, but stronger in other ones. So, see what happens. Maybe it's just a different look. So, J.D. says the team is kind of the same. 
says maybe it's just a different look. We got stronger in some areas, weaker in others, weaker in others. Just a different look. My question is, JD Martinez says, I, I think we're the same. Yeah, we have a kind of the same team, I would say. Is the same team good enough? Is the same team good enough? Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line, 802-585-3026. I understand switching up the energy. I understand getting a new look. I do, and I respect it. But I don't think being the same is good enough for this team. This right now is a 500 baseball team, a 500 baseball team that needs a lot of help if it wants to make a real run. I don't think that just because you were a B-minus team and just because you changed around a couple of other pieces and remained a B-minus team, I don't think that's enough. Red Sox have a lot of work to do. They needed to get appreciably better and discernibly better if they wanted to make real headway, both in the wild card race and the playoffs themselves if they got there. So I, I don't – look, I know J.D. Martinez isn't going to publicly criticize. I get that. He's not going to come out and rip – the front office and rip the organization, especially as he's about to be a free agent. He's not going to do that. But I don't think being kind of equal is a great thing for the Red Sox coming out of the deadline. Buy or sell, but this is what frustrated me. Like, yeah, they are largely the same, and largely the same is not good enough. Tech says that the Red Sox can get everyone off the injured list and contribute down the stretch. They can catch fire. No one thought they'd get to the ALCS last season. I certainly didn't. They're not going to catch fire this year because of the schedule. I, I, I maintain that the Red Sox schedule is too difficult. I bring this note to you now, it feels like, every single day. You look at it now, Major League Baseball remaining strength of schedule. The Red Sox now have the seventh hardest schedule remaining. Now, the reason why it's better is because they just stopped playing Houston for the year. Right, So they got rid of Houston, so now their strength of schedule has dropped a bit. But they have, of the, play, of the teams that they really care about, they have nearly the hardest schedule. Okay, They have a harder schedule than Toronto, who they're trying to catch. They have a harder schedule than Seattle, who they're trying to catch. They have a harder schedule than Cleveland, who they're trying to catch. They have a harder schedule than the White Sox, who they're trying to catch. They, the only team with a harder schedule than them is Baltimore. That's it. The only team that they care about who has a harder schedule than they do is Baltimore. That's all. So just being the same to me isn't good enough. And yet, just getting guys back, it is nice to get guys back. But, I mean, this team needed these guys back plus, and they didn't get it. You look at the wild card right now, we've already got a bunch of games in the books today. So, the Blue Jays are in first in the AL wild card. They're two ahead of Seattle. So Seattle's in second. Seattle is one game ahead of Tampa. So Tampa is in third. Cleveland is one game behind Tampa. Baltimore is one and a half behind Tampa. The White Sox are two behind Tampa. The Red Sox are three behind Tampa. So if you look at it, the Red Sox are three games out of the first wild card spot. They are six games out of the of the first wild card spot, and they are there are five, there are four teams they'd have to jump to get into the playoffs right now, to be in the playoff spot. It just feels with their schedule like it's just too difficult. It just feels like it's just too difficult. Um, we'll play the highlights here 
in about seven or eight minutes from the game, a kind of a forgettable game, uh, 6-1 Astros. Texter says that's a fair point, sir. Strength of schedule is important. It is going to be tough sledding for the Red Sox to get to the playoffs. Look, I do think they can play better, but they haven't won a series against an AL East opponent all year. And you look at it, nine games left with the Yankees, six with Toronto, nine with Tampa, 11 games left with Baltimore. Baltimore just has won three straight against Texas. Now, they're not as good after selling Lopez and Mancini, but the Red Sox are not going 11-0 against Baltimore. They're just not. So it is going to be a tough schedule. Um, okay, 802-585-3026. I saw someone ask me this on Twitter, and I want to bring it to light here. Red Sox acquire Eric Hosmer, right? First baseman, formerly of the Royals, then of the Padres, now of the Red Sox. What are your expectations for Eric Hosmer? What are your expectations? Because I saw someone on Twitter, the person who asked me this question, say basically, yeah, he's a bit of an upgrade, but he won't be able to handle the expectations of Red Sox Nation. And my question is, what exactly are your expectations of Eric Hosmer? Because my expectations are twofold, and they're very basic. One, all I expect is Eric Hosmer to deliver better production than the current Bobby dahlbeck Franchi Cordero platoon. That's it. I don't expect Hosmer to come in and hit 330 the rest of the year. I don't expect him to hit 14 home runs the rest of the year. I don't expect him to hit in the middle of the order. The only thing I expect of Eric Hosmer is to hit better than what the Red Sox have gotten at first base this season. Coming into today, the Red Sox were hitting 222, 224 at the first base position with a 294 on base percentage and 10 home runs in 104 games. Actually, I was going into yesterday, excuse me. Like, can Hosmer, he's hitting 270 on the season, I believe. Red Sox first baseman are hitting 224. Can he come and hit 250 for the rest of the year? That would be my expectation. That would be 30 points higher than where the Red Sox are at right now. In 50 games, can he hit five home runs? Can he put in a professional at bat? All I'm asking for is be better than what they've had. Hit 250, not 220. Keep up the same similar rate of power, right? Hit you know, actually hit, hit four to five home runs in 50 games, which is better. better eh, actually, it's about the same, right? They've hit 10 and 100. I'm asking to hit four or five. Keep up the same rate of power. Don't be an automatic strikeout. Cordero and Dahlbeck strike out a ton. Put together a professional at bat. Walk a little. That's what I'm asking Osmer to do. And secondly, my only other expectation is play every day. That's it. The Red Sox are wasting a roster spot. On this platoon, right? Cordero and Dahlbeck are both on the roster because neither one of them can hit the other-handed pitcher. Can we now get Eric Hosmer to play every day? And then at that rate, if he can, you can send Franchi Cordero to AAA or send somebody to AAA, and you can make Bobby Dahlbeck a bench bat and a versatile defensive guy. That's all I'm asking for. Eric Hosmer, can you play every day? He's hitting 330, I think, against lefties. So it's not like he's got to sit against lefties. Play every day, open up the roster, allow you to send somebody who's not hitting down to AAA. Those are my only expectations. Hit better than what they've got and play every day. That's it. I'm not asking him to be the savior. I'm asking him to be an upgrade. 
That's all. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. We'll play the highlights. We come back. Red Sox lose to the Astros 6-1. And a story out of today's game that you have to hear. And I encourage you to go find the video of to see it for yourself. Last couple of minutes here on the Brady Farkas Show. Jazz with George Thomas is coming up next on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Red Sox Lose today, falling to the Astros 6-1. Day baseball at Minute Maid Park. Sox do win, though, the series two games to one. Rich Hill started, first game back off the injured list, went just three innings, struggled with this one. Astros got up early in the bottom of the first. Jordan Alvarez at the plate. Sack fly last night. The pitch is grounded on the right side. Bogart's the shortstop over there. It'll get a run in. Bogey throws to first. Alvarez is retired. It's on balance. That's a trade the Red Sox will take. Now two base scores, and it's one nothing Houston. That made it one nothing. Alex Bregman followed with a sack fly. That made it 2 nothing. Astros tacked on to the bottom of the second when their newest acquisition, you know, aside from Christian Vasquez, Trey Mancini came to the plate, and uh, this was his first Astros Yahtzee. Here's the pitch. Mancini skies one deep to left field. It is way back, and it's into the Crawford boxes for his first Houston home run. You're not at the new Camden Yards anymore, Trey Mancini. A two-run bomb, and it's 4 nothing Astros. Astros made it 6 nothing in the bottom of the fifth. Kyle Tucker had a two-run double off the left field wall off uh, Caleb Ort, and then the Red Sox lone run came in the top of the ninth with Xander Bogarts at the plate. Swing of a drive deep to left field toward the Crawford boxes. Diaz is at the wall. He looks up and it's gone. A Houston homer for sure. Bogarts breaks up the shutout. And in the ninth inning, it's 6-1 Astros. Yeah, her, Jose Arquiti was dominant on the mound as a starter for the Strohs. And then finally in the bullpen, the Astros get to uh, Will Smith, another deadline acquisition. Wild story out of this one that I didn't pick up on during the game, but it is now going around social media. I encourage you to go find it on Twitter or Instagram. Jordan Alvarez in one at-bat against Rich Hill was given four strikes. And nobody caught it. How? I don't know. But nobody caught it. Jordan Alvarez was given four strikes in a Major League Baseball game, and nobody talked about it. Jared Carabas of Bar of uh, Barstool Sports was well, uh, formerly of Barstool Sports, now of DraftKings. He was the guy I first saw pointed out, and now others have have picked up on it as well. But go go find it. He'll only pitch three innings, so this must have been in the third. There's a 1-0 count on Alvarez. Hill throws a slow looping curveball for a strike, makes it one and one. Then there is a foul pop up. That there's the shift is on, so the third baseman. Uh, See, so third baseman and Hill and the catcher all run over to the left side, try to catch it, don't get it. Now it's one and two. Then there is a third strike that is called by the umpire, top of the zone. And then Alvarez grounds the second, or grounds to first. Jordan Alvarez was given four strikes in this game, and nobody caught it. I didn't catch it at the time. But now it's all over social media. I encourage you to go look for it as well because it's uh, pretty interesting. Pretty interesting. I, I'm, I mean, I think I've seen like I've seen it in major league games where where somebody loses track of the count. Like it's not never happened before, but 
people are lucky that this didn't end up costing the Red Sox a run. Now, Alvarez got out on the next pitch. On that fourth strike, he was out. But that was a, that is a mistake that cannot happen. That is a mistake that cannot happen. All right, that's it for us. I encourage you all to go download the podcast at the podcast channels, Apple Podcasts and Spotify and WDEVradio.com. Tom Karen of Nesson was with us as well earlier today. He's great as always. Buster Olney of ESPN will be with us tomorrow. He'll talk with us at 545. Exciting news, Friday at 545, we had another full show. We're going to be joined by Steph Smith, the former UVM basketball player playing professionally in Canada right now, spent his time last year after UVM at St. John's. So Steph Smith is going to stop by on Friday, Buster only tomorrow. Go download the podcast, Jazz with George Thomas, is coming up next. This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, streaming at WDEVradio.com.